Hello, I'm Tommy Green. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Centerpoint. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I also hope all of you at downstairs at the Unplugged service had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Uh, this morning, we're going to uh, finish up and wrap up our series on joy. Matter of fact, inside your bulletin, you'll find an insert with an outline of today's message entitled, Joy is a Choice. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks as you follow along, if you'll just raise your hand, our ushers would love to come by and take care of that for you. I'm very excited about talking on joy this morning. I believe that as Christians, we ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. I believe Jesus told uh, his disciples in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came, one of the reasons he came to earth was to give us life and to give us life abundantly, a life that was overflowing with joy and peace and love. Now, it wasn't a life that was going to be void of circumstances and of trials and tribulations, but it was a life that you could actually have joy and peace and life in the midst of those circumstances. Uh, we've been working off a definition in this series uh, that I want to go to. It's actually on your outline. It says, Joy is a great delight or happiness that comes from knowing that God is in control of every detail of our lives. Such joy is independent of our circumstances. Uh, joy does, has nothing to do with what we're going through. It has to do with a choice that we make that we believe that God is in control of what we're going through. Uh, I believe that joy in a Christian's life is one of the greatest advertisements for Christianity for the world. When we're going through situations and tough times, and yet we still have joy and peace in our life, it's something, the joy, it's something that the world wants. It's something the world doesn't understand. And it can be a great advertisement uh, for Christ. Uh, in the book of Philippians that we've been going through, this last chapter that we're going to be hitting today, Paul talks about how to have joy in your life. He gives us some keys to having joy. Not only does he give us some keys to how to have joy, he gives us some keys of how to keep joy. And uh, that's just as important. So this morning, as we take a look at that, um, I want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into today's message. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you that you sent Jesus into the world that we could have abundant life. I pray that uh, as we look through this, Lord God, and through your scripture this morning, I pray that you would speak through me and move me out of the way, and that, Lord God, that you would change us. And, Lord God, you would teach us how to have joy. Now, Lord, I think something I believe that all of us could say, I wish I had more joy in my life. And I pray that, Lord God, that you would teach us how to keep that joy as well. And we pray that you would do those things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the first part of your outline, point A, says this. Paul encouraged the Philippians to be full of joy. To be full of joy. So as he says in verse, chapter 4, verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I want to say it again. Rejoice. Always be full of joy. And if you didn't get that part, let me say it again. Rejoice. Now, this wasn't the only time that Paul encouraged someone to have joy. He actually, in the book of Philippians, he says something very similar. And he says this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. He said, you want to know what the will of God is for you? God's will is for you to have joy. God's will is for you to pray. God's will for you is to be thankful in all circumstances. Now, if I sat up here this morning and I told you, always be on time for work. 
Always make your bed. Always brush your teeth. Now those would be some suggestions that I would encourage you to do. But I can't do them for you. It's a choice that you have to make. And Paul was telling the Philippians and he's telling us that joy is a choice that we have to make. Always be joyful. Never cease praying. And be thankful in all circumstances. Now you want to know how to have joy in your life? I will give you a key. The first key to having joy in your life. And that is your note on your outline. The key to having joy is giving thanks in all circumstances. Giving thanks in all circumstance. And that's a choice that we make. When we're going through things in our lives, we can choose to be thankful and to find something to give thanks for. You might be here this morning and you might be going through a financial difficulty. Be thankful for your health. You might be here this morning and you're going through a tough situation with one of your children. You're having some relationship problems. Be thankful that you have a house and a place to lay your head and food on your table. We can always find something to be thankful for. Now, King David in the Old Testament was someone like you and me. He went through hard times. Matter of fact, he went through uh, some hard times probably more than most of us did. He had a boss, the king of his country, who liked to throw spears at him for fun. Liked to chase him all over the country trying to kill him. King David was a person who understood what it was like to have marital problems. King David was a person who understood what it was to have a child die. He understood what it was like to have a rebellious son who went against everything that you told him to do and wanted to take his kingdom away. He went through some trials and some tribulations and some hard times. And this is what he said in Psalms 34.1. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. If you will, if you take your pen, I want you to underline the word. At all times. And constantly. No matter what David was going through, he understood the power of giving thanks and being grateful and praising God. Matter of fact, the Bible calls King David a man after God's own heart. I believe it was because he had this attitude that he was going to praise God no matter what he was going through. Now James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way in his book. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James said, when you go through hard times, it's an opportunity for you to grow. And because it's an opportunity for you to grow... You can have joy. And many of you have heard me say this uh, up here before, that God is more interested in our growth, our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity, than He is in our comfort. He's more interested in you growing spiritually than He is how comfortable you are. It's because He's molding you 
And he's making you more into his image and more like him. It says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Jesus went through suffering. We will too. But we can count it joy when we go through those things if we have the right perspective. Matter of fact, that's a life application for us this morning. Is our perspective determines our joy. How you view a situation. Do you view it as the end of your life? It's the end all. Or do you view it as God's really in control of this situation? Now Habakkuk was someone that also went through a lot of hard times. And he also chose to praise God in the midst of it. This is what it says in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk had some hard times. I mean, his cattle were dying, his crops were dying, his barns weren't full. Nothing was going right for him. Yet he still chooses to have the perspective that though all that's going on, God is still in control of everything. So I can rejoice in the Lord. I can be joyful in the God of my salvation. Because I know he is in control. And a note for you and me this morning is pain is mandatory. But misery, misery is optional. We're all going to go through hard times. We're all going to go through various trials and tribulations. But we don't have to be miserable because of it. We get to choose our perspective. We get to choose how we're going to respond when things come into our life. Are we going to be miserable? Or are we going to turn around and count it an opportunity for God to do something in our life? that we understand that God works all things for good of those who love him. What perspective do you have? Now David went on to say in Psalms 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Have you ever been in a, on, a, on a day, it's just like, you're just blah. There's nothing bad going on in your life. There's no really hardship that you're going through. It's just, uh, you're just blah. I think that's kind of the day that David was having. He was like, why are you so downcast on my soul? Why, Why are you so disturbed? Don't you understand that you once were in darkness and you once was headed for a life of destruction and separation with God in hell? And because of Jesus Christ, now you have a, Life to look forward to in heaven? (laughs) What's getting me down? This life is but a moment. Eternity is forever. It's all about our perspective. Now, Shelly and I have a friend of ours who's taught us this lesson more than anybody else I know. Uh, She was someone who used to sing on our worship team and traveled with us when we had our band. And uh, she has a testimony. She's been through more than most of us could ever imagine. Yet she still serves God, and she still appraises him with everything that she has, with a smile on her face. She was 13 years old. Her parents and her grandparents were both tragically killed in an airplane crash. 
leaving her basically with no relatives. A family in our community took her in and raised her as her own. And when she was sophomore in high school, she got pregnant of the only guy that she had ever dated. And so at the age of 15, she got married and had a baby. And as you can imagine, their marriage started out of a little rocky. And they went through some hard times for quite a few years until they began to get involved in church. And uh, they got involved in church and she began to sing on our worship team. And they began to host a host host a small group in their home. And things were starting to look up for them until he began to develop some medical issues in his life. And went to the doctor and they diagnosed him with cancer. In the midst of going through cancer, they found out that their oldest daughter had been molested by one of their dearest friends. And after the trial and the sentencing and all that went on with that, her husband passed away at the age of 29. Two years later, they discovered that her 12-year-old daughter had cervical cancer and had to have a full hysterectomy. Now, if I told you that she serves God and loves God more than about anybody I know, and she praises him every single day with a smile on on her face, most of you would think I was crazy. But I'll tell you one thing that she learned going through those circumstances. She learned that God is a father to the fatherless, and that he's her dad, and he'll take care of her through every circumstance. I went to Texas this last week. I had the opportunity to call her up on the phone. I asked her, I said, Nicole, when people ask you how and why do you still serve God, what do you tell them? And I had the opportunity to uh, record that. And so I would like for you to watch the screens and see what she had to say about that. No matter what trial I have walked through, I have always known that I have a daddy that loves me more than I could ever think or imagine and that he is faithful. I have continually kept myself reminded of his word that he will never leave me or forsake me, and that he has a plan for me to prosper and not to harm me. I truly believe that every trial that I've had to walk through, God allowed to mold me and draw me closer to him. He always has placed people in my life that honestly have loved and cared for me as their own and have taken my family in as their own. He has never let me feel alone. And I have always said, I can't fathom how people walk through trials without the Lord. I tell her all the time that she's one of my heroes of the faith. How would you like to have that kind of perspective? That God's in control of every situation in your life. It's what will bring you joy. And the keys that Paul talked about in this are two things number one we need to be thankful in every circumstance and number two we need to have the right perspective and the right perspective is that God has it all together he holds you in the palm of his hand and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you now the second part of the thing that Paul began to describe he told us there in the very beginning of how to have joy And I just want to encourage you on this, too. If you don't have a lot of joy in your life, 
It just seems to be void of it. Begin to find the small things to give thanks for. Begin to have the right perspective, and I promise you things will begin to turn around for you. But point B on your outline says this. Paul warned the Philippians of three joy stillers. He said, listen, you have joy, but I want to teach you how to keep joy. There are things that can come into your life that can snatch away the joy in your life. And this first joy stealer that he talks about is one that can, you can be having this wonderful day full of life, full of joy, just everything's going right. And this robber can come in, this thief can come in and just snatch away the joy of your life just like that. This stealer can come, and it's the reason why some of you don't like going to family gatherings like Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's the reason some of you have no joy at work. It's the reason why some of you don't have any joy when you come to church. That first robber, this first thief, first joy stealer that he talks about is unresolved conflicts. Unresolved conflicts steal our joy. I want you to imagine with me just for a second that it's the week before Thanksgiving. And you're in a really good mood and things are going well. And matter of fact, you decide, you know what? Um, I want to help my wife get ready for our trip to Texas. Hypothetically speaking, of course. Um, but let's say you decide you're going to help your wife get ready for Thanksgiving. And she said, I said, is there anything I can help you with? And she says, sure, you can take this pile of clothes right here and iron them. Just make sure you don't iron this blouse. And you said, well, sure, I'll help you uh, do that. Because you know what? You, you listened to John's message last week, about, you know, a couple weeks ago, about joy and serving. And you really realize when you serve others, you get joy. So you're in there, and you're ironing the clothes, and you're just full of joy. And after about 45 minutes, let's hypothetically say that your wife decides to walk in when you happen to be ironing that one blouse that she told you not to iron. Can I tell you, your joyful day just left because conflict has come in. And until that conflict gets resolved, there is no joy. You know what I'm talking about? By the way, honey, I'm sorry about your blouse. <laughs> but I've got a pretty good idea what I'm going to get you for Christmas. So um, make Christmas a little easier this year. But it, unresolved conflict can steal the joy in our life. And this is what Paul told the Philippians, and he warned them about in uh, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy. And the crown I received for my work. He told the Philippians, you are my joy. My relationships with you brings me joy. Now, I want to appeal to you, Eudodia and Suntunke. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partners, to help these two women. For they have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Now, life application that he wants us to, that Paul's trying to get across to us is this. Is we need to be peacemakers. We need to be peacemakers. Some of you had a hard time going to Thanksgiving this year because you had to see your brother. Some of you had a hard time going to Thanksgiving because you had to see your dad. Because there's been a conflict that's been going on for a long time. And it's never been resolved. It's never been resolved. We need to be peacemakers. This is what he said in Romans 12, chapter 18. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He went on to say in Colossians, make allowances for each other's faults. 
and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. As much as it depends upon you, we need to make things right. Sometimes we need to be the bigger person in the relationship. And if it's all possible, we're needs the one that we need to be the ones who make amends. Stop waiting for your dad to apologize. Stop waiting for your sister uh, to say she's sorry. You, if you have the, within your ability, you make it right. You be the peacemaker. Now, some of you uh, didn't. It wasn't because you had a conflict at with someone in your family at Thanksgiving that caused it not to be joyful. It's because your Uncle Bob and your Uncle Joe had conflicts with one another. And it just made Thanksgiving just awkward. And we all have people like that in your family. you got people that still have conflicts, and it's like, it just makes it awkward. Well, Paul told uh, the Philippians, said, hey, Euodia and Sintuke, you guys, you guys work out your problems. And, and church... Why don't you help them work out their problems? Now, we have no idea what these two women were talking about. I mean, more than likely, they were probably arguing about who had the funniest name. Eudonia, what kind of name is that? Well, it's better than Tsuntunke. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, those names, biblical names, never really took off, did they? But you know what? Isn't that what most arguments are about anyway? Aren't they usually over something very, very silly? A couple years ago, I had a couple of uncles in my family who got in an argument over one of the craziest and stupid things. They got in an argument over which of their favorite football teams had the best football team. Was it Texas A&M or was it Texas Tech? And you guys just thought that happened in Alabama. They literally got in a huge argument about that and did not talk to each other for two years. That's a silly argument. And can I tell you, it made family gatherings kind of awkward until some of us actually had to go to him and said, enough is enough. This is stupid. Okay? So some of us need to be peacemakers. And this is what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So unresolved conflict. How many of you would agree with me? Unresolved conflicts can cause joy to leave your life. Amen? Amen. Well, the second thief that Paul talks about is a joy stealer that can actually cause you to be depressed. It is a joy stealer that can cause you to have a negative attitude and outlook about everything in your life, and it can actually cause people not to want to be around you. The joy stealer I'm talking about is anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry steal our joy. If joy, the definition that we start with, if joy is knowing that God is in control of every area of our life, then worry is doubting that God is in every control, in control of every circumstance of our life. It's exactly what it is. This is what Paul said to the Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then, I want you to underline the word then. After you do these things, after you pray about everything, after you tell God what you need, after you thank Him, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds 
as you live in Christ Jesus. Many of you have heard John say this over and over. If you're going to worry, don't pray. But if you're going to pray, don't worry. We can take our problems to God. And we can cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Philippians 4, 8, Paul goes on to say, um, uh, he goes on to explain some things. And first, let me get to this note. And the note is this, worry comes from the perspective that God, that our circumstances are bigger and more powerful than God. Worry is the perspective that our circumstances are bigger and more powerful than God. And Paul went on to tell the Philippians a key to how to have the right perspective. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you have heard from me and saw me doing. Then, if you want to underline the word then again, if you'll think on these things, all the things that are right and pure and lovely and admirable, then... The God of peace will be with you. Do you know 99% of the things that we worry about never come to pass? And the 1% that does come to pass, we have no control over anyway. So why do we spend so much time and so much energy worrying over these things? Can I tell you, it's because we're in a spiritual battle. It's because we really do have a devil that wants you to keep your thoughts on yourself. Because he understands that he wants to disrupt the mission that God has given you. God's given us a mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And he knows that if he can keep our thoughts on our circumstances and on us, that we will not fulfill that mission. Not every thought that comes into your head originates from you. That's why some of you think you're crazy. Because you think I keep on having all these thoughts and we just don't realize that we're actually in a spiritual warfare, in a spiritual battle. And a note on this is that we give credibility to whatever we ponder. Whatever you meditate, you make a reality in your mind. How many of you have ever uh, been somewhere and you saw two people talking over in the room and you had this thought that they're talking about you? And all of a sudden, you begin to get worried about what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, no longer are you worried. Now you're mad at them for talking about you. And then you come to find out they weren't talking about you at all. But you've wasted all this time and all this energy. And you know what? All of a sudden, you started treating them differently, didn't you? Just because of a thought that you had that came into your head. Now, life application, well, listen to this. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, Guard your, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Your heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions. We have to be careful about what we meditate upon, about what we allow our emotions to be like. Now, life application for us is that we must reject thoughts that are contrary to God's Word. We must reject them. 
told you that some of you think that you're crazy because of your thought life, because of the things that come in, the things that you think about. It's because the enemy really wants to cause you to be shell-shocked, to be paralyzed. He wants you to keep your focus on you so you will not put your focus on others. Corinthians, Paul talks about this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are mighty before God to cast down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts against the knowledge of God and bringing everything, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When you have thoughts that come into your, into your mind that tell you that your circumstance is bigger than God, that's a thought that you have the authority to throw away. It's a thought that you have the authority to reject. God has given us some weapons to fight about the things that we think on. They are prayer. They are praise. They're thanksgiving. It's the word of God. It's our faith. But we have to put those things into practice. If there is a thought that comes in that's contrary to God's word, you have the right and the authority to say, leave. You have the right to, to say, I'm not going to think on that. Listen, you, can't, you, cannot, you cannot control what thoughts come towards you. Those are called the fiery darts of the enemy. They're going to come. You do have the authority. You do have the responsibility of what you do with them. Do you meditate on them or do you throw them to the side? See, when we have the right perspective on situations in our life, it will cause us not to worry. It will cause us not to have anxiety. Because anxiety and worry is one of the things that will steal the joy out of your life. Now the third joy stiller that Paul talks about is one that will leave you unsatisfied. And it will always keep you looking for the next big thing that will make you happy. And it's discontentment. Discontentment steals our joy. Paul says this to the Philippians, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is in a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And a note on your outline simply says, keeping up with the Joneses will make us miserable. Keeping up with the Joneses will make you miserable. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. Godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into the temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Many of us believe that if we can just get that new car, it'll make us happy. Some of us believe that if we just uh, had a new house or a new job, or if I could just have his wife, it would make me happy. 
If I just had a full head of hair, or if I didn't have pimples, or if I was as skinny as she was, or if my hair was her color, then maybe I could be happy just like them. It's a trap. It's a trap. When you are discontent with what you have, no longer are you thankful. Your thankfulness turns into complaining. Matter of fact, the life application says this. We must trust that God will take care of all of our needs. Out beside that, I want you to go and write, not all of our wants. He'll take care of all of our needs, but he won't, he's not promised us all of our wants. And where we're constantly focused on our wants, we forget to be thankful for our needs. Paul ended up telling the Philippians at the very end, this is what he told them. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God's promise to provide for us. Because he's promised to provide for us, to take care of us, we need to be thankful for that. And we need to trust in God. Go back to our definition of joy. It is knowing or believing or trusting or having faith that God is in control of every circumstance of our life. So being discontent can literally steal the joy out of your life. And we get to make sure that that doesn't happen. Will you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you, Lord God, that in your word, that you've given us some keys how to, how to, how to have joy. Lord, you told us that if we would have hearts of thanksgiving, if we would choose to give thanks in all of our circumstances. Lord God, if we would um, choose to have the right perspective that you really are God and you really are in control and that our hard times and our circumstances and our trials and our tribulations are not as big as you. Lord God, that we really could have joy. Lord, I also want to thank you for your word that, uh, that warned us, Lord God, and Paul warned us, Lord God, of some things that would come in and steal our joy. Lord, if there are people in our lives that we need to resolve conflicts with, then I pray that we would do that. Lord, if we need to make a phone call this very day, we do that. Lord God, uh, Thanksgiving was miserable because of it. Christmas doesn't have to be. Lord, if we're always consumed with worry and anxiety and we fret all the time, Lord, help us have the right perspective. Help us think on the right things. Help us pray. Help us give thanks. Now, Lord, if we're those type of people, Lord God, who are always looking for the next big thing to make us happy, Lord, make us grateful for what we have. Make us grateful for what we have. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.